Uh, but back it's, to what you were saying right before we started recording. I can't believe you don't support Black brakes, Lives Matter. Pump, it's not true. Don't <laughs> I say know. that. I was, giving, I was giving you the Tom Segura at the beginning. Stop it. No, we, we're not doing that anymore because of the way the world is. That's that, true. That uh, is something Bert and Tom addressed. Uh, yep. Now Bert is no longer racist. He fucks dogs and stinks. Which I, it's <laughs> fucking, I'm down for that, man. I never, I for one... Ne- was never fully on board with him being a racist. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I for one don't like, you know, because I I I like to think I'm not a racist, so I don't like it when my comedians are racist. Well, t- it's too bad. But you we're all a racist. Little. Yeah, huh? I mean, but one thing that I think that we have we are learning is that everybody's racist. That's it's just inherent shit. The way we think about certain things just kind of it's it's there. It's it's, it's there and it's impossible to vo- avoid and it's very ugly. And it's one of the reasons why we've kind of at least why I haven't been bugging you about doing this lately. I've been very much on the team of maybe it's time for you know, a podcast of two white guys to maybe sit on the fence and watch what's going on for a little while. Before and we we, dip- we have for about two weeks. Yep, uh, um, which I which I think is smart, but I also didn't want to like just not say nothing about all this about the world right now. So here we are. Here we are. It's the white and, guilt episode. Uh, I wouldn't call it the white guilt episode. I'd call it the truth episode. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean. It's such uh, a it's such a weird term, white guilt. Well, because it's you. I don't like the term because it's used by people who don't support the Black Lives Matter movement as a negative. So I don't. Oh. And they create they created that term. Oh, that's oh. they they created that term. That's their term, and they use that as like, what do you want me to feel? White guilt. I'm like relax no i want you to have some fucking empathy some understanding and listen to the goddamn truth that's open that's right in front of your eyes you see i was just about to jump down your throat for saying all for with your beginning thesis but you proved yourself correct you see folks this is what happens when you listen thank you (laughs) but you know like what we were saying earlier i think another important thing that I think I've, I feel like I kind of came to this conclusion a while back because this is not the first time we've gone through this as a country. Right. Uh, anybody, I think anybody, and you hear this a lot from like people who are 50 plus white people. They're like, I have not a racist bone in my body. Like, yeah, you don't walk down the street screaming the N word. You don't fly the Confederate flag off the back of your truck. But, but you put your way, yeah. A lot but of the you, ways that you, you operate as a person and decisions that you make are based on racial things that are in your mind, right? I mean, I look back on my upbringing, and it kind of—I don't know—I see a lot of things that were never, ever, ever intentionally racist that happened within my upbringing, but mm-hmm. definitely were. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, totally. Like, like, like when we moved to a school district that, uh, to a certain school district, you know what I mean? Putting mm-hmm. me in private school, um, like, I don't know, like even getting into theater in a way. Theater is such a fucking like white, like, activity. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 um, I put it up there with golf. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's such an it's such an elitist sort of art form as much as I love it, but like it, I think it's describing it as elitist is pretty goddamn on the nose. I absolutely and I'm with you. I love it, but and with elitism comes, you know, inherent institutionalized racism and superior there's just thoughts of superiority. Right, right. Or just or not even it's just the way that it's built like it's i mean who runs the public theater oscar eustace like 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 who runs broadway a bunch of trump supporters the richard rogers theater is is owned by trump supporters well yeah because they're but they're all they're all old businessmen 
Right. Like, not that Oscar Eustace is a, uh, I don't want that to be confused. Oscar Eustace is not a Trump supporter, but he is an old white guy that runs like the premier off Broadway, like theater in New York. Like, yeah. Like, like, which is, you know, which is fine. He's earned that position, but it is what it is. And um, it's inherent in the system. And it's something that we're all learning about and adjusting from. And at right now, we are just at a, what is it? Like a, like we're, we're like a, a hot tea kettle. Like everything was just boiled up in this country, just given the fact that like half of us, not half, but like a quarter of us are unemployed right now. Um, I think it's up to, I think it's higher than a quarter now. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. It either way, either way, a shitload of people. Are, are out of a job right now. We, we're all fed up. We've got no unity from our leaders. Like they've gone out of their way to be divisive. Donald mm-hmm. Trump has gone out of his way to be divisive before, you know, the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Like, like uh, he was going out of his way just to turn masks like surgical masks into a political statement. And then all this happens and he just threw, throws gasoline on it. And the whole world just decided, you know what? Fuck this. We, yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about this. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to make you reckon with this. You know how sometimes you're up against something that is so strongly supported and yeah. you, you feel so vehemently against it, but it's so strongly supported that you think to yourself, am I wrong? Yeah. yeah, moments of doubt. Moments of doubt creep in, and yeah. then you t- and then you remind yourself, "No, there's no way I'm wrong. I know by looking at history that I am right." Right, and then and then and when I see the rest of the world marching in the tens of thousands in major cities all across the planet, it just drives home the fact that I know that they're wrong. Yep, like. And they don't see it. They don't care. That's the thing. I don't understand how they don't give a shit. Yeah, like, at all. And I don't understand the people that just are hell-bent on not yielding to the fact that this is an issue. Yeah. Like, they're just like, this isn't, I'm not racist. I've never been racist. I have tons of, you know, multi, I have lots of, like, Mexican friends, black friends. I, I do all this shit. And it's just like, yeah, well... Why don't you ask your Mexican or black friends if you if they think you're racist? Like really? Like 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 <laughs> like really? Like I know lots of people. I've worked with lo- every type of fucking person that there is, and I'm sure that like they would a few of them would be like, I bet Matt is a fucking Klansman or something. Not really, but but like, yeah, I know what you but, mean. But but like I'm sure that I have. Well, I I know that I've made bad jokes, especially like ten years ago. Like, like oh. I know, like, like when I was in high school and early college, I was really big on offensive humor. And like, while I never did anything outright, just like God awful, I don't think I was definitely not sensitive to some people, yeah. like, like in certain situations. And but part of like, you know, part of this discussion is acknowledging the fact that you have done shit that's fucked up, you, or you've had thoughts that are fucked up, or or you've just done nothing which is also fucked up Mm. um uh and learning from it and and trying to help out as much as you can now i will say i didn't go down to the protest because covid19 is still a real thing i'm still living with my parents who are super sick um i have been donating especially to brianna taylor's legal fund um which i really recommend everybody go do because she was murdered in her bed asleep by police um, who had the wrong house in a no knock warrant. And they just began firing into her bedroom, which I mean, beyond arresting them and putting them in prison, we also need to get the fuck rid of no knock warrants. Are you joking? Like what the fuck? Like, you know, if you're serving a warrant, you can place officers on all sides of the goddamn house. Yeah. No knock. That is got. That's how is that not unconstitutional? I don't understand how. Like, like what? Like how we even got to the point where the cops were like, "We need this, right? We need, we need a no knock warrant. We, we, we just need to barge in on these motherfuckers." And I got to be real. I don't know what they were looking for. Um, 
I just know that they were at the wrong house and they literally shot through her bedroom window while she was in bed. And that they never identified themselves as police officers. Her boyfriend, who was, because the, everyone makes a big fuss about like, well, they were getting shot at. It's like, yeah, because yeah. someone, like, like. Two-way, like, you like, two-way supporting motherfuckers. Right, How do you right. not get that? Right, like, like it's, a, it's the Second Amendment where like, if someone just barges into your fucking house in Louisville, Kentucky, of all places, I would expect to get shot back at. Like, I, like, like it's just crazy to me that, like, that all of these white people I'm seeing on Twitter and on Facebook just digging their heels in the ground and acting like this shit isn't a problem. It, and it's it, a clear it's, cut. They exhibit a clear cut line in the sand, double standard. If it's their white ass or their white fucking friends or family, God damn it. Second amendment applies. I can march on the Capitol with fucking guns. But if yeah. black people demonstrate in the streets and if the cops are barging into black people's houses, they better shut their fucking mouths and do what they told. And, and know how to Fuck interact you. with and know how to interact with police. It's Fuck like dude, off. Like these cops are the people that are supposedly uh uh, um, trained in de-escalation, but they don't practice it at all. There's a nasty culture within police work, and it le- it comes from a lot of cynicism. And um, fuck, I can't think of the word off the top of my head. It's a very pessimistic culture that yeah. leads a lot of is heavy in street cops. The right, street cops are the ones that are always seeing bad shit all the time and, and sometimes also the, they they poke fucking fights which is ridiculous they're they, but, they're but, also the least trained from what i understand yeah, they're the least experienced mostly right, right so but there's a culture of us versus them that like the public is their fucking enemy right and right. i've had this conversation with my father right chief of he, police about Former chief of crime scene investigation. Oh, 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 I thought he was the chief. No. We jokingly called him the chief, but he was never the chief. No, he's captain. I used to call him the sheriff to bo- to bother you. He could, yeah, I know. He, had, he would have had the opportunity to be chief of police if he wanted. He was offered numerous chief positions, but he really, really, really loved forensic and crime scene investigation. Okay. And Anyway, moving on. Your anyway, dad was- moving on. He yeah. was a cop for 40 years. And the people who are on the, if you're on the street for more than five to eight years, it's because you can't do anything else within the fucking field. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you, you, it, it's like in sales, you start out cold calling. And if you're not off the phones, cold calling at maximum two years, you should probably change jobs. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Especially if you have like a year at one company and a year at another. Anyway, I digress. It's 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 very shockingly similar the way he explained it to me through relaying it through my experiences. If you've been a street cop for numerous years at different departments, it's time. It's probably time to change careers. Right. I mean, and I mean. So what I was and getting what's at. What's the though, harm sorry. in doing that? I don't know. It's just like if it's not for you, it's not for you. Just don't right. do it anymore. Like, well, like, it's because you get caught up in this culture and the pessimistic part of the culture. Something my dad told me was a lot of cops forget that their number one job is to serve the community. Yeah, yeah. Serve the community, and that's why he loved his job. Because his job was absolute fucking science, mathematics, and data mm. to put away murderers and rapists, right. specifically murderers and rapists, because we had a lot of bullshit in my hometown. Yeah. Um, but it was exa- it, like, literally, it was an exact science. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. But, so, but it, it, that is my point is that it, the culture eats away at people and the mm-hmm. culture needs to fucking change. Right. I mean, it's, it, and I mean, we're, I think we're going to get into it in our last segment. At least I am going to be getting into it with my don't at me, but um, it's just, it comes down to what you were saying. It's just cops are there to serve, but they are mm-hmm. there to serve in so many aspects and respect. And it just seems like an impossible job. It really is. And, 
What? I don't you know, know if this is something you're going to touch in your don't at me. Maybe if it's based off John Oliver that well, we saw, but yeah, it is. That, civil services are in the shitter and there's stuff needs to be taken off plates. <laughs> right. Right. But anyway, right. I digress. <sighs> What's um, a fun thing that a horrible white guy did? Oh, I know on Twitter a few days ago, uh, <laughs> this is from a few days ago. Um, so we're a little late, but it was trending for four days. Lady G. Ooh. And we're not talking Gaga. <laughs> I got we some are, nice. Oh, juicy buddy. There is. Where, what state is he from? He's not from kid. He's South from the Carolina. Carolina. South Carolina. The confirmed bachelor, Lindsey Graham, uh, has essentially, I mean, I don't want, uh, he's essentially been outed by a bunch of fucking male escorts. Yeah. Um. As a as a person that uh, represents himself as Lady G over text message and email, and then event essentially they don't know who this is, who this guy is. They just know that it's Lady G. It's a high profile, high paying client, and they get in the room, and it's and it's Lindsey Graham, and he <laughs> is bent over, and you can read the rest from Medium dot com. From Medium dot com on June sixth. By Philip Huang. <laughs> In November of 2013, Lindsey Graham hired me as an escort. We met at the Westmore Hotel in Baltimore. I didn't know, of course, that it was Senator Graham. Parentheses. He'd used some brat, used the name Brad in his text messages. Close parentheses. Brad. Until I opened the door, I did not know it was Senator Lindsey Graham. If I was surprised, I didn't show it. I excused myself. And I went to the bathroom. Now, when I came out of the bathroom, he was in the bed, naked, on all fours. I, I noted that there was some dark marks around his anus. I asked Ooh. if he had showered. He said he had. I asked Ooh. if it was okay if I wiped him down, and he said, sure. I went, I went, a, I went a face towel down, and I wiped, and I wiped, and I wiped <laughs> in between his buttocks, but nothing was coming off. <laughs> then... I realized that his taint wasn't dirty. It was just full of moles. Oh! <laughs> Dark moles in dense clusters up and down the length of his taint. Aw, he said. Hope you don't mind. Those just my little ladybugs. Ladybugs. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that anyway. is a story written by a male prostitute in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> oh, my God. That was just my little ladybugs. That just ruins. I used to love ladybugs. <laughs> They're a beautiful creature. They're cute. They're also cute. They look like your mom. Uh, not your mom, but just the general. I know, I know what you mean. Like, they're just <laughs> cute. Like, moms are cute. I get, yeah. you, I get exactly what you mean. When you think like of your they, mom, you think, they, oh, that cute little lady. They bring you lemonade if you were out mowing the lawn. <laughs> They're the sweet, wholesome mother, suburban mother of the bug world. <laughs> but now, no, not anymore. Now, normally I would not be for outing somebody uh, and I wouldn't put it on the podcast, but Lindsey Graham has done a lot of harm to the, to the gay community. Lots. Uh, and, and he's done it on purpose and he's done it because he hates that part of himself. Um, and fuck him. So yeah. uh, we fuck thought that you guys- straight up his ladybugs. <laughs> we thought that he, you guys would enjoy that little excerpt. Thank you. What was his <laughs> name? What was the author's name? Oh, shit. Philo Quang? Huang. It's a uh, H U A N G. Philip. Philip, Philip Huang. Thank, Huang. Thank you, Huang. Huang Wang. Fuck. Now we. Sorry, guys. We apologize. <laughs> we apologize for not knowing exactly how to pronounce this gentleman's last name, but we do thank you, sir. Yeah, for, for your, your service to this country. <laughs> 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 and we imagine wiping with... Lindsey Graham's ass <laughs> and then telling anybody about it. Oh Lord. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All right. Sexy so, time. Back to the easy stuff like racism. 
It's uh, time to check this shit out. Check this shit out. The United States military is finally doing what I didn't realize had not been done. And they're banning Confederate flags from all military establishments. Yep. This means that no serviceman or woman, service woman, nobody that's a member of the United States Armed Forces can display a Confederate flag anywhere at any time. Thank And the God. fact that anybody thought that they fucking could is absolutely befuddling to me, seeing as the Confederacy is the only enemy of that of the united states military that ever fought us on our fucking soil yeah like like guys guys <laughs> guys it, it like like come on i saw a meme today that said you know the confederacy only lasted from eight, uh, 1861 to 1865 uh which my emo phase was longer than that like this is not <laughs> this is not about heritage this is not about uh, the South, or, uh, like some weird cultural sort of pride. It was a period of four years when a bunch of politicians committed treason and created their own army out of out of the poor populace that elected them and went to war with our nation. Um, uh, and it has nothing to do with states' rights or economics. It was entirely just that they wanted to keep uh slaves they wanted to keep people yeah. as slaves particularly they wanted to keep black people as slaves yeah um, and i mean they make the state's rights argument but they're they gotta it's very picky choosy if that's what yeah. you want to do because right. northern states passed laws to protect runaway slaves right and the southern states wanted the feds to step in and overrule that right so right wh which way is it huh which is was it state was it some states' rights and not others? <laughs> it's just completely horseshit, and I can't believe that this wasn't done beforehand. Um, but you know, a real left turn, as it were, is that NASCAR has also banned <laughs> the Confederate flag, brother. You like you're fucking transition? on it, you're yeah. on it today, homie. Yeah. <laughs> I had tuna for dinner, brain food. I had um, cheeseburger, <laughs> butt food. Butt food. Um, uh, well, yes, but, please carry, along, carry on. I'll pull this I up. I mean, you probably got more information on it than me, but the NASCAR has banned the Confederate flag, which is a real surprise. I can't believe <laughs> that they did that because I know people that watch NASCAR and they all have Confederate flags in their homes. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't really know. I don't know anything about NASCAR. I've never been interested in it. I kind of like sometimes Bill Burr will get me to check in on F1 stuff, but that yeah. ain't NASCAR. No, uh, NASCAR. I mean, NASCAR is super unique and it's one of those things that I kind of equate it to golf. It's super intricate and to really enjoy it, you have to know it. Yeah. But where people really get into it is investing in people's per investing in the people's personalities. Yeah. Like sure. people, People that the biggest star in the history of NASCAR is Dale Earnhardt. And he yeah. was the biggest star because he was the intimidator. He would not back down. He would run you into the fucking wall if it meant he got in front of you. Like it, it, people invest in people's personalities in NASCAR as well as golf because the strategy to it is a little more involved than, say, yeah. football or basketball or baseball mm -hmm. or hockey. So mm -hmm. that being said, a gentleman who's been driving for NASCAR, which is the highest level of kart racing, stock car racing, mm -hmm. uh, Ray Sorelli is his name, said, I'd like to announce, I'm going to assume that he talks like this, I'd like to announce that I'm retiring from NASCAR after this here season. I cannot drive for a league that won't allow my special flag. Yes, he said special flag. Special flag. <laughs> the first comment on it is from NASCAR, the governing <laughs> body, the organization. This is basically the equivalent of Roger Goodell tweeting at this fucking guy. Okay. <laughs> he said, NASCAR said, we actually had to Google who you were. 
<laughs> I'm sure your dozens of fans are real sad about your crusade to defend participation trophies. Jesus Christ. And then another person chimed in and noted that he was 0-32, had never finished in a top 10 and never top Whoa. 5, had never finished in a top 3, 2, 1, nothing. This guy was an inconsequential body on the track. He's the guy that gets in the wreck in the middle of the race. You know what I'm saying? And let's uh, say his name one more time. Ray Sorelli. It Ray sounds, Sorelli. Sounds like a spaghetti restaurant run out of <laughs> the run out of the trunk of somebody's fucking PT cruiser. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to Ray Sorelli's. <laughs> you want you meatballs? You want some gabagool? You want meatballs or the vodka sauce? <laughs> you can go in circles and then you have to puke. <laughs> you know, with an 0-32 record and quitting NASCAR because of the Confederate flag, I do have to give the man some props. He is very committed to, just like his precious Confederacy, he's very committed to being a loser. Oh, yes, he is. Ray Sorelli. Oh, Ray Sorelli, if you look, I got one special message for you, and that's go fuck your mother. You know what's funny is that he, after that interaction, because that interaction that happened was on Twitter with between NASCAR and him, yep. and after it happened, he totally deleted his profile <laughs> off of Twitter. Like, I went and saw the, the aftermath of it, and they kept saying, at Ray Sorelli was involved in this conversation, and I kept clicking on it, not getting anywhere. And eventually, I just typed out twitter.com slash Ray And it said, Ray Sorelli does not exist. <laughs> Sucks to suck, loser. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> on the lighter side of the news, I yes. love, love, love this fucking piece of news, man. Mm-hmm. I love this shit so much. Mm, My childhood me. hero, Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> he came to he came into the light somebody actually i mean i don't want to say i guess i'll say her name because this is viral so everybody yeah. knows it by now everybody's seen it april vickery for us it wasn't a sign of hatred or hate or ignorance it's a sign of southern pride a pride in who you are where you come from and the people who come from the people you know stood for heritage and lineage, family and pride, never stood for hate ever. That was really fucking hard to read because there's no punctuation. That sounds like Blanche Dubois on a bad tab of acid. Exactly. Good Lord. The Texas rattlesnake, the greatest professional wrestler that ever lived, my childhood hero, chimes in, and I'm going to do a Stone Cold impersonation. That's national. That's nice and all, but if I recall, it don't matter what it means to you because Afri- it don't matter what it means to you because to African Americans everywhere, it's a symbol of oppression, hatred, and inequality. So your little heritage, not hate story, don't mean shit because your stupid little heritage was built on the backs of slaves and identifying what that kind of sort of de- identifying with that kind of sort of definitely makes you trash in the Texas rattlesnake's eyes. So if you can continue to spew your bullshit, just know that none of us care, you dumb racist some bitch, and that's the bottom line. <laughs> there you go. And we even we try I tried desperately to disprove this because in my opinion because I you know anything out of the wrestling world in my eyes is fake, but uh we looked it up on Snopes. That shit's I real. Even find, I couldn't even find a reference to it. No, it's it's real. He did that. And, and I've been following Steve, obviously, my whole life, like, since the third grade. Right. But spe- more specifically, I've been following his podcast for seven years. And oh, he is, oh, wow. He is openly in favor of gay marriage. He's openly in favor of equality. He's you listen to people talk about him and the way he dealt with everybody in his days working as a wrestler. And he was nothing but cordial and professional to everybody. I mean, yeah. we're talking about a really good dude here and yeah, his well, outlook well, persona. He did beat up his wife. <laughs> I always forget about that. Anyway. <laughs> he did. So I guess, <laughs> so, he's, okay. He's a guy that's come around, which is what we're talking about. And is kind of the theme of our episode. Hell fucking. Yeah.
Well, I think it's that time. We're all gonna die, it's our only guarantee. It's just the past the time, I suggest you listen to me. It's the Matt on Matt Podcast. Recommendsies. Recommendsies, everybody. And I think we want to start this one off. Um, we both watched something yesterday that really resounded with us, resonated mm-hmm. with us, mm-hmm. and it's... On Netflix by Dave Chappelle. It's not on Netflix. It's not on That's Netflix. Right. It's not. It's on YouTube. Everybody My keeps bad. saying it's on Netflix. It's Netflix did promote it, but it is not on Netflix. It's on You're YouTube. Right. I watched it on YouTube. You are correct. Um, I concede this battle, Fessa. But it is 846 by Dave Chappelle. Um, it is, it, it's just basically... It's Dave. It's Dave. Uh, if you don't, everyone, I think if you're listening to this and you don't know who Dave Chappelle is, then you should probably take the rock off of your head and step out <laughs> into the outside world. Um, uh, it's really, it can be nice <laughs> out here sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave Chappelle. I mean, this dude is like the fucking avatar of race relations and the mood of America. Like he just is, he's so unifying and smart and just, um, he always knows what to say and what to bring to light. He's not always perfect. He's definitely had some problematic views in, uh, in terms of the trans community um, but in the past. But he also admits that those views are problematic while he's talking about it. Um, yeah. And in this special, he doesn't hit on that at all. He just kind of talks about, because a lot of people were, I guess, I mean, obviously, a lot of people were saying, what does Dave Chappelle think about what's going on in the world? Uh, what's like, what does Dave Chappelle think? He's one of the, I mean, he's the guy that gave it all up because he, I mean, he gave up $50 million in 2003 because he didn't feel that his um, voice was being heard on the most popular sketch comedy show. And in some circles, in my opinion, one of the greatest sketch comedy shows of all time. I mean, um, I think when you talk about impact in such a short amount of time, I think it dude, is the greatest yeah. the impact that it made in two on that seasons. Genre in two years is pretty unbelievable. And then the fact that he walked away from it the third year because he was working on stuff and then kind of realized, like, you know, all of a sudden all these fucking white people are chiming in and laughing really hard at things that I wouldn't that I'm that I didn't really mean for them to laugh that hard at you know what I mean yeah um and the fact that he walked away from that and gave up all that money and really I mean and and really affected the lives of the crew and his writing partner Neil Brennan but he was willing to make this enormous sacrifice now he just always he just seems so free when he speaks he yeah. just seems totally unafraid to do anything or say anything. And this is what you get in 846. It is, it's not super funny. There's definitely some like hard laughs in it. As there's in some, it's, I call them hot spots. There's some hot spots, bro. Yes. Like there's some laughter that's like very, it, laughter that doesn't come from a pretty place. Yeah. Um, or a silly place. It's go, It's all based off of. This I is mean, the most real. I mean, the thing about saying that this is the most real is pretty startling when you're talking about Dave Chappelle. Right. Because Dave Chappelle is somebody who is the most real. He always comes off as authentic. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, every time I hear about this guy, it's like Dave just showed up and then did an hour that he didn't prepare and brought down the house. Like, like, yeah. He, and yeah. that's what he does in this. And he, I mean, this really just kind of feels like a poem almost or a sermon or like a, a, a homily. Like it, it just, it, it, it really, it feels like a total, just like a lesson that everybody needs to listen to. Well, um, I think it, it kind of harkens back to like Lenny Bruce in a way. Yeah. Because Lenny would have, well, his stand-up routines were more so his thoughts on the world with some funny in there. Well, at, yeah, towards the end of it, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it it's a throwback in that sense. Like, it's not what stand-up comedy is today. 
mm-hmm. but it's kind of a throwback to what stand-up comedy was in the early 60s maybe we'll right. say i don't know but it like you said it it feels like a sermon it feels in a in a good way there's a lot of people out there i don't like being preached to yeah people that go to church that say that um. <laughs> right right suck suck my toe ladies <laughs> and gentlemen no but this is i mean this is one of the great creative artists of our age and one of the greatest of all time that is just unapologetically telling you how this affected him and he's so authentic that he even as a white guy yeah i mean it feels like he's one of us i don't know that that makes any sense or if that's stupid in one way or stupid in another way but i always when i watch dave i always feel like like that's my dude he's so real and authentic i feel like i know him and i know i don't because i've never met him and got to spend time with him but for somebody that I feel like I know mm-hmm. through his work, this was really, really meant a lot to see. And for you and me, as th- early 30s white kids raised with privilege, yep. it's a, I think it's, it's great to hear somebody mm-hmm. like him. Lay it out. Black man who we respect. Lay it out there. What I really loved about it, too, is that his initial take on it was that he starts talking about that guy from a few years back that went to war with the LAPD. Yeah, I you can't remember, remember his that. Name. I don't even want to say his name because it's just a whole mess. But yeah. like, and plus Dave says it better than I'm going to right now. But he talks about, this is the point that really, it kicks off the whole speech so i don't feel like i'm spoiling it too badly but he talks about how this guy was a cop and he saw cops mistreating people reported it and then uh got um got fired eventually because he because of whatever reason it was but it was only after he reported misbehavior by other police that he was fired and he appealed and appealed and he lost all of his appeals never got his job back and then eventually that just drove him to his to the brink of his fucking brain and the dude snapped and he started killing police he started ambushing police and their families and doing really horrific shit he wrote a manifesto where he mentions Dave Chappelle and Dave Chappelle is like supposed to go to LA LAPD's like this guy's on the loose do you want us to give us a police give you a police escort and he's like I don't want to be anywhere near you <laughs> this guy's coming for you um but then he makes the point that whenever that dude was captured 400 police showed up to put a bullet in that guy mm-hmm. one dude because of his actions towards two of their officers and a family member of another officer now and now the police now are surprised that this many people are coming up in arms against their treatment of black people and minorities in america it's like yeah people are gonna show up it's been way more than three people it's it's hundreds and it's been and and it's been designed that way so people are are done like it's we're done you said Uh, something right there that it it's designed that way yeah it's designed to keep you in your keep you down to keep not you you know what i mean right to keep black people down and out right a few years ago i wouldn't have believed it But my eyes have been opened. Right. I mean, I was, I don't want to make this about me, but like I, there was a while where my view got totally fucked up on this because I was brutalized by a cop in 2008. Um, And, you know, I don't want to talk about that situation just because it involves like an ex-girlfriend and yada, yada, yada. But like, um, uh, it, like when I look back on that incident, the only reason why I'm recording this episode right now is because I am white. If I had been, if I had been a shade darker, I would be dead or I'd be in prison. It'd be one or the other. Like, like, because I, because I'll tell you what I learned about our fucking criminal justice system in that process is that it is a system 
that they want people to get into. Yes. Like, like and it's it is, not designed for you to get out of it either. No, it is designed for you to get into it. And it was, stay in it for life. We, we had to fucking fight um, uh, in order to get everything fucking cleared up. And again, and this is me coming from an incredibly privileged background. Um, in a place of, in, in a specific place of incredible white privilege. Right, privilege. right, right. The so, location I'm talking about. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, fucking forgot where I was going. I just lost my steam. Uh, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. We it's were talking just, about 846. But like, but like, okay. Yeah. So yeah, a few years ago, I wouldn't have bought it. I wouldn't have believed it. I would have said, well, I've never been given a break by the cops. I've been beat up by the cops, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, dude, you're alive because you're white. Like, and, and by the way, Matt, anytime you never got a break from the cops, it was because you were doing something that attracted their attention. Like I used to always complain that I could never get out of speeding tickets. Do you know how I stopped getting speeding tickets, Matt? Stopped speeding. There you go. And we, as <laughs> like, white kids, like, we have the option to stop doing and not be bothered. Right, right. Black right. people don't really have that option. They don't have because that option. Because they're going to be bothered because they're black. Because they fit a description. Because they, they fit the description. You look like someone that we're looking for. What? Like, that doesn't mean that you can just, at least in my experience as a white dude, that isn't, isn't, that shouldn't mean that you should just be allowed to be thrown on the ground and out in public, which happens mm -hmm. all the time. Happened to Jay Farrow recently. Yeah. He, fit, he fit a description, and uh, he, while he was out on a jog, the LAPD threw him to the ground, put their knee on his neck, um, and uh, until they let him go, because they figured out that he wasn't who they thought he was, supposedly. I mean, it's just it's incredible. So it's that's infuriating. That's our first recommendies. We're trying to put out, uh, just give you guys. Um, you know, some black run media. I would, uh, do you want to go next with your recommendation? Yeah, I'll go next. Um, and the ideas of, like he said, the idea of uh, black made media. Right. Something that's created and run by a black individual. Um, something that I've been a fan of for years. Um, I think they season four, have four seasons out. A show called Insecure on HBO, created by Issa Rae and Larry Wilmore. And on top of it being very funny and being also sad and touching and poignant, when we're looking at a time where black voices are yearning to be heard, this is a really unique show in the sense that how many millions of TV shows have there been about post-college educated whites just living their life? Mm -hmm. How many shows have there been about post-college educated blacks just living their life? None. Where they're really? just portrayed as normal people the cosby show but we can't play that anymore but even then even then cosby there was a doctor and a lawyer yeah yeah they had to be the most upstanding member of society to be right. portrayed as a non-criminal black Issa's right. character works for a non-profit and oh. she's having boy troubles yeah like it's such a human story that yeah. is not told about black people now, yep. she had, but there is another side of it where her best friend is an attorney, which leads them to be able to tell interesting stories about the racism she faces in an all male, all white workplace in an almost all male, all white profession. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just an interesting, it's very interesting because I mean, black people in America definitely have their own culture. So to see their culture not washed away by a white television network and like a show be, you know, shows be truly made in their vision with their culture, their ideas and their experiences. Mm -hmm. I think that's dope as shit. And the show is really fucking good. Dope. And I see you also are recommending trigger warning by killer Mike trigger. Yeah. Trigger warning. So this was a series that came out in 2019 on Netflix where killer Mike just kind of, different topics on every episode, but explores the black experience in America. And man, there was some shit in here that really just blew my lid off. Because really? I, obviously we'll never understand, but we can learn. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, sure. One in particular was I never, I guess it just never crossed my mind. I never thought about it. It's not that I assumed that there was more. It's just not never something that I thought of, which is another reason why this show is so fucking good is because it, it helps you think about things you never think of. He was talking about black owned businesses. Mm. Like there's like, there's not many. And I, yeah. when I say not many, I don't mean there's not as many as white. I mean, like there's not fucking many. Right. And that's just, Ah, it's fuck crazy to me. It's, it's sad. It's I mean, it sucks. It just it's it's a really unfortunate just result of the way our society society has been designed. Yep. Um, my recommendzy is I got two for you guys. One is super heavy, and the other one is not. Which one do you want to go with first? Uh, let's go with heavy, and then we'll lighten it up. We'll lighten it up. So super heavy. This is homework for you, motherfuckers. Should you choose to do it? Um, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Now, I know that this seems kind of like a what the hell are you talking about, Butters uh, recommendation, but I read this book in ninth grade and it totally changed my fucking life. Um, it's written with, uh, he wrote it with Alex Haley, who wrote Roots and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and it's really just a, it's a really challenging book. Uh, it's not easy. Malcolm X is not an easy character to really sympathize with or get behind, but you've got to, but there is real, it's, 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 a, uh, I'm reading this kind of, a, I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, just as a, as a refresher and, and with the way that Alex Haley kind of wrote it was it was through a, a series of interviews and then he turned those uh Malcolm X's like um answers during the interviews into a long form narrative and it goes through what they describe as a conversion narrative now it's you start it starts off and it is exactly what it sounds like it's just the my, Malcolm X's fucking life um which was insane the dude was born in michigan uh as malcolm little he got rid of his last name because it was his slave name uh he his mother was put in an insane asylum whenever he was just a kid he doesn't really know i don't think he really knows who his dad was um and it's just it's an incredible um this it's it's just an incredible journey because malcolm x as we all know, there's like whenever we talk about the civil rights movement, there's always kind of two sides that we're presented with from uh, black leaders, at least in my education growing up. There's Martin Luther King Jr. and then there's Malcolm X's approach. Um, Malcolm X was definitely the more physically or violently radical type. He, um, especially in his rhetoric, he kind of coined the phrase by any means necessary we have to take it we have to take what's ours back um and i think that that is such an important lesson i mean we are it's really kind of shoved down our throats how um martin luther king's method of uh, uh peaceful protests and and radical nonviolence was uh is really highlighted uh, in my education growing up as what is the right way to protest the, mm -hmm. the, the way that the civil way, the, the good behavior, uh, that we all That's want. only, by the way, this good behavior is only required of black people. In this exactly. Country. Exactly what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting to. It's not required of whites. Right. And that's what sorry, Malcolm I'm, X. Sorry, I stole no, your you thunder. Said, <laughs> no, you said, you said it because I couldn't get it out of my fucking mouth. Uh, like, <laughs> like that, that's exactly it. This is, this is behavior that we are taught throughout our entire life that only black people have to fucking follow this mode of behavior because Martin Luther King said so because one leader said so. Uh, but, but Malcolm X basically just said, nah, man, fucking any means necessary. He was uh, like, we'll take this back if we have to, if, if this is when, he, when Kennedy got killed, he goes, well, that's what kind of happens when we fuck around. Isn't it white people? He said that 
this is the chicken coming home to roost. Um, so it's a really just a beautiful like portrait of humanity and struggle. Like, cause his story is just nuts. He, he becomes, he spent, he, like I said, starts out as Malcolm Little in Michigan, eventually moves to the Northeast, stays in Harlem for a while, becomes a straight up fucking pimp and like gangster. And he's known as red little because he has red hair. Um, and he, and he get, like gets addicted to heroin and cocaine and reefer and all this shit. And but then he finds the nation of Islam, which is this kind of bizarre offshoot of uh, uh I wouldn't even say it's an offshoot of Islam. It's just kind of like this bizarre off like offshoot of it's, something. We'll say it's its own thing. Right. And but I just think it's important to read these perspectives because it because it shows a big part of what Nation of Islam teaches is that white people are godless killing machines. And I think that that perspective I can't say we've done much to dissuade that argument. Exactly. Like 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 <laughs> like there's like 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 yeah like like how could why would anybody who has never heard that before and then they finally hear it said out loud why wouldn't they just go oh yeah especially in the 30s and 40s 50s and 60s whenever this all whenever that whole movement took took uh took hold um so but eventually he kind of gets out of that he go he's because he is a he considers himself a devout muslim um, the entire time that he is involved with the Nation of Islam, he goes to Mecca and talks to some imams there, and they're like, "Yo, that is not what we are teaching in Islam." I don't know what where you got that information. Uh, that's not what we're about. And then he eventually converts to Sunni, uh, to the Sunni practice of Islam, and comes back to America and kind of goes against the teachings of the nation of Islam and begins to teach more inclusion and more, more um, like, it's like, look, we're all here. We're all stuck together is, is kind of what he gets to. And then he gets killed. I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a horrible, tragic story, but I, I just think it's, um, I think it's required reading. I really loved it whenever I wrote it. Fun I'm fact. I've talked about this a lot on Facebook Fun fact, when I read it, it was for a book report. So, and of course I waited until like 30 minutes before the bookstore closes. I turned to my mom and I say, we need to go buy an autobiography. And the only two autobiographies that were available were the autobiography of Jamie Kennedy <laughs> or the autobiography of Malcolm X. And so I didn't think that they would let me choose Jamie Kennedy. And so I did Malcolm X. And at the end of the book report, I had to go up in front of the whole class and, um, perform as Malcolm X and tell my story. Don't worry. No blackface. Everything was, I that didn't happen, but it was still like really fucking fun. <laughs> instead of, instead of saying he moved to Harlem, you said I moved to Harlem. I moved to Harlem. I did heroin. I did cocaine. <laughs> Which when we look and, back on your New York experience, you probably yeah. should have moved to Harlem at a certain point in your life. <laughs> you probably would have liked New York a lot better if you moved out of Bushwick. <laughs> I won't disagree with you. Um, <laughs> but Bushwick. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, I'm going to read it um, because we were talking earlier about somebody not being perfect, but somebody finally coming around to do good work. Right. Right. Sometimes you go through bad paths to get to a good place. Right. And I feel, and even the, but even though, even when you talk about the quote unquote bad path or whatever, sometimes what he's saying from when he was on the extreme side of things makes fucking sense right i mean it's like why wouldn't he see it that way <laughs> right why like, would that not be how he feels <laughs> have we like, done have we actively done something to make him not feel that way because yeah like <laughs> no we haven't and now my second and last recommendsy is super lighthearted, and it's super easy to do it's not nearly as difficult as reading the autobiography of malcolm x um it uh it's this wonderful podcast run out of bed uh, by two gentlemen by the o by the names OJ and Jeff. Uh, it's called Don't Trust Our Opinion Podcast. <laughs> um, and what they do, it's a reaction podcast. They watch videos and react to them. And what they do is they, they react to comedians. 
essentially. Okay. Um, and it's super fun. They, 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 they take suggestions from everybody. They really like watching white comedians cause they've never heard uh, like any of the material. <laughs> like they, they had ne- <laughs> like, like they posted something like two months ago or maybe even one month ago, they posted Bert's machine story. They had never heard it. And so it was super fun to like sit with somebody that has never heard the machine story and then they get to hear it again. And they, and like, they also love Bill Burr. Like they're all over Bill Burr's stuff, which is super fun. Um, Because I love Bill Burr. I think he's the best living. They reviewed the, have they reviewed the, uh, the bill talking to his grandma about his black girlfriend? Oh, you're going to have so many problems. (laughs) Oh no. I don't know if I've heard that one. Oh, you have it's super old. It's like from okay. 2008 is when he was like, I guess he was first dating Nia. Yeah. And his grandmother was like, oh, you guys, you're going to have so many problems. Yeah, I bet. I mean, his based solely fucking... off the fact that she was black. Well, I mean, as a, as Bill's white ass grandmother probably thought. And frankly, I mean, I bet that they did have problems, you know? I mean, yeah. I Even mean, they... uh, I mean, Bill's talked about, he's just like, yeah, people like just always stare. Like I've heard him talk about that on his podcast. Trust me. I know that from experience. Right. People just stare at interracial interracial couples (laughs) like, and it's super uncomfortable. And it's like, yep, here we are dating. Leave us alone. (laughs) We're trying to, we're trying to fuck over here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm giving you the big eyebrows because been there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, So check them out on YouTube. Uh, don't trust our opinion podcast. It's super great. Uh, they're, they're, I don't know. It's just super easy. It, 10 minute long episodes, 15 minute long, you know, perfect time to just spark a blunt and get through it. Um, Sounds like fun. Uh, and now I dropped my pick, but I'm just going to fucking bare knuckle this bitch. Oh, <laughs> I'm keeping all this in. Don't at me, bro. 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 Don't at me, Generation X, telling me (laughs) that words matter when it comes to defunding the fucking police. We have to defund the police. It has to happen. I get that it sounds radical, but what it really does is start a conversation. It start because the radical position is abolish the police. The, the radical position is disband the police, and that's not what we want to do. We need to take their funds and put it elsewhere. The former chief of police in Dallas, Texas, even says it himself. The police have too much on their plate. All of society's shortcomings fall onto the policeman's lap, and it's just not fair. We have to take this, these monies that they have and, and reallocate it to civil services. Like, policemen should not be intercepting large swaths of homeless people and clearing, clearing them out. This, like, social services should be stepping in and finding them shelter for a few nights and then trying to get them set back up on their feet. Not just destroying their property, cutting their tents up, burning their fucking, uh, burning their livelihoods, which are, you know, and destroying their lives. I mean, we have to defund the police. Words do matter, which is why the word isn't completely defund the police. It's not abolish the police. It's just defund. Take NYPD has already forfeited $1 billion of a $6 billion budget this week because of the protests that have been happening. I mean, this is something that needs to happen and it needs to happen fast. I keep reading and it's all from Gen X and a little bit of boomers, but like mostly Gen X. It's super weird. I would never expect like Gen X has like been so off in the background for all of these discussions that it's super weird to me that suddenly they're the ones standing up saying, well, well, what are we going to do? What's going to happen if, if, if my house gets broken into, it's like the cops will show up 20 minutes after the fact and shoot your dog. Yes. That's still going to happen. Like, like, I mean, guess what? They're, they're still going to show up because crime would be their job. 
Right. But right. mental health care would not be their job. Right. Getting cats out of trees would not be their job. Homeless would not be their job. Their job would be crime. Sh- chaperoning protests would not be their job. Like, like uh, this is just so, such an easy and such an, it's not as radical. I get that it sounds a little radical, but I keep hearing that like it should be partially to fund the police or re- reallocate funds. And it's like, that's not a good hashtag, frankly. Fuck you, yeah. If you but, don't understand like, how social media works, don't try to name something. Yeah, don't act, don't act like you, you know how to, like what words to use in a movement if you've never ever even tried to be behind a movement or support a movement in your life before. I mean, it's all these Biden vote. I mean, I'm still voting for Biden. I don't know. It's just, I'm so- We're both voting for Biden and we know exactly why. <sighs> but like, it, it's just, it just, it frustrates the fuck out of me that people are, choose to die on this hill. Don't at me, bro. Don't, don't don't die on that hill. Don't at me. Don't at me, bro. People who try to play devil's advocate. Tell me about these people, Matt. I came across a little piece right here that actually mm-hmm. was sent to me by you after I had a blow up on somebody because they were trying to play devil's advocate about Black Lives Matter. Yes. It's not a fucking game. Guys, nope. this is not a fucking game. This isn't a... This isn't that scene in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern where they play words and it's a tennis match of words back and forth. This is a real fucking issue. This is a real problem. I'm going to read this thing. It says, hi, I'm a white dude who likes to play devil's advocate because other people's struggles are theoretical to me. It's fun to debate their right to equality. While we're here, I would like to center my voice and perspectives about a cause that means nothing to me. I'm here to take up all the oxygen in the room and exhaust people who are trying to fight against injustice so that we can maintain the status quo, which serves me, by the way. I have no interest in learning. Your frustration is my ultimate goal. Let's engage. That is what playing devil's advocate is. That is what happens when you walk into a room with people who are passionate educated and informed about something that they've been following for fucking years and you decide that you want to well what about this stat and what about this stat and then i combat that and that person's like well show me the proof i'm like listen motherfucker if you would like for me to give you a presentation with notes and with sources i'll be glad to do that give me 24 hours to prepare yeah otherwise we're not playing devil's advocate about Black Lives Matter. We're not playing devil's advocate about the fuck how bad ice is. We're not playing devil's advocate. You want to you want to play devil's advocate about the fucking Holocaust? Do you want to do that? Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you do. I'm sure you fucking do. God damn it! Don't don't at, at me, bro. me, bro. Don't fucking at me, bro. Um, I guess that's the podcast for this week, y'all. It was a good one. I feel good. I think about it was this a good episode. one. I mean, it's not. A, I feel really great about this. It's not our typical horseshit. We don't, we, don't nor, we don't normally get this political because we just like to kind of be silly, but I just, I, I couldn't be too silly. I feel like it would just be like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, Cause we're, I mean, we're not, we're not comedians, right? We're not stand up comedians. We don't write jokes. We're two best friends who have a pretty goddamn funny rapport together. Right. And right. We also are two best friends that have been on a long journey together in growing as humans mm-hmm. from a from ages 18 and 19, where you kind of is really when you start to form a true sense of the world. You start. That's when right. you start. Right. And you and I went through that together. We went through that together in the biggest city in, in the biggest city in America. We went through that together in small town Texas. Right. And I believe that this was a really uh, something I wanted to do for sure. Um, I just wanted to say it. I wanted to talk about it. We also guys uh, look up Brianna Taylor uh, in her case. She has a GoFundMe that I really, I've been donating to it. Um, They were trying to raise a half a million dollars for like a legal fund. And they're actually at 5 million, but based on the cover up that the Louisville police department is enacting right now it's it's going to take a lot of resources in order to get uh justice in her name she was murdered in her bed um by the police on a no-knock warrant and it's just there's a bunch of other horrific deaths that i mean obviously george floyd armand arbery um 
Oh, who Robert Fuller. Um, did you hear about that one? This was like this weekend. No. He was he was found in outside of some city hall in some down some bu- Oh some, yeah. He was yeah, yeah, he was yeah. found hanging in a tree and the cops said it was suicide and everyone that knows him is just like what? That he would what? And it's really just disturbing what's happening. Um it, yeah. I I uh have decided I mean I Follow me on Twitter if you want to find Brianna's uh, legal fund. I have listed and linked her uh, that that GoFundMe, um, so you can donate straight to that. I would also recommend that you donate to Black Lives Matter. Um, one recommendation I am going to give is that you do not donate to Sean King. Because um, I've heard uh, he is he ugh. that guy is. It does some some good stuff, but he he steals money. Um, yeah. So um, if you see I, him fundraising, do not donate. Go as, directly to the source. As you said earlier, I was not able to participate in the demonstrations because, as you know, I'm in Texas currently, um, and I am staying with my in-laws who are over the age of 70, and I just, with COVID, I mean, I hope people understand that. We actually talked about that. I remember we were like, should we go protest? We, and we, uh, I kind of was just like, uh, I don't think they need white guys down there causing problems. That's the other thing. Yeah. Um, especially in Dallas. I don't know. That whole situation just seemed really scary. Um, um, but, uh, yeah. Black lives absolutely matter right now. They're the ones that are in the most danger from the establishment and that's uh, so, why they matter more than that's why they matter the most so follow me on twitter at twitterfield that way you can find uh brianna taylor's gofundme um go to mattbutterfield.net for the only selfish plug i'm going to do in this episode <laughs> for dates on the upcoming run of attack of the killer mutant leeches at Pocket Sandwich Theater, which I am starring in. And I think He's that's got it. two lines. No, I'm in all three I'm acts. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have a romantic arc, by the way. I can't yeah. wait to see it. I was just you fucking see with that you. Coming, you look so you? mad. <laughs> you didn't know that old chubby butters over here could woo two women in a show. Hey, especially the fat guys. Fat guys need love too. No discriminating in this world. Yeah, come on, y'all. Please fuck me. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, what do you got? Uh, follow you where? At MattBeery06 on all the social meds. Um, Hit us up if you'd like to ask questions, if you'd like to add comments, if you'd like to share any experiences. Um, hit us up at the uh, Matt on Matt, uh, the Matt on Matt pod at gmail.com. Um, yeah. All Love right. You, Love you, Matt. Love you, my little ladybug. <laughs> oh, baby. I'll see you next week. Adios, fuckers. <laughs>